All right. As you know, we've been on a series called Leap, Stepping into Audacious Faith. It's been fantastic. And um, this week, we're going to talk about small steps and giant leaps. Small steps and giant leaps. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Just hold your place there, and we'll get there in just a moment. But I want to talk for a moment as a way of introduction. I want to talk about Peter, the Apostle Peter. And this guy, he took an incredible leap of faith when he stepped out of the boat to walk on the water. I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but there is a story in the scripture where Peter, the disciple of Jesus, jumps out of a boat during a storm and walks on the water to Jesus, who started the whole thing. This whole walking on the water business. And it was indeed a bold and daring step of audacious faith. It was breaking the laws of physics, but there was a supernatural uh, component to it. And Matthew, Matthew's gospel records that Jesus sent his disciples on ahead of him across the Sea of Galilee while he dismisses the crowds. The crowds have all been gathered. They've just finished witnessing a miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. And so Jesus dismisses the crowd, sends the disciples across the sea, and then, and then goes to a mountainside to pray during the night. A storm comes up in the middle of the night and Jesus sees them out on the lake, out on the Sea of Galilee, and he goes to them walking on the water. Imagine the scene. Imagine the picture. It's sometime after three o'clock in the morning. That's what the Bible describes. It's in the middle of the night. The disciples have been fighting this nighttime squall for several hours. The waves are beating against the boat, impeding their progress. The wind is whipping against their sails. The struggle has made them weary and they're starting to wonder if they're actually going to be okay. The Galilee was famous for storm bursts popping up without notice. Suddenly they see a dark figure coming through the mist and the waves toward them. And they all think Matthew records that they're seeing a ghost. And so they get really freaked out. The disciples are like, oh my gosh, it's a ghost. Matthew actually is especially good at sort of peeling back the mask of this ragtag group of Jesus followers. He's highlighting the frailty of these disciples. Why is he doing that? He's showing how weak and how frail they are. How, how easily scared they are. Why is he doing that? Because he's trying to reveal that the only authority and power that is really available to us and to them is through Jesus. Jesus actually yells out as he's coming to them on the water. He says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And this this is the moment where Peter somehow seems to surprise Jesus, if that were possible. And certainly he surprised the disciples. I mean, I mean you, you, they're worried about whether or not they're going to make it across the lake through the storm. They're terrified of a ghost. And then Peter unexpectedly yells back into the storm to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. 
Okay, just think about it. if you're one of the disciples and you're like, oh my gosh, we're so scared. Oh, is that, did he say it was Jesus? Oh my gosh, Jesus is coming to save us. That's awesome. That is so great. And then Peter says, says tell me to come to you on the water. And they're all like, what? What are you saying? What are you talking about? Can you imagine the looks on their faces? Jesus is coming to them. Peter has something in mind that none of them had thought of. Jesus actually shouts back to Peter one simple invitation. He says, come! Come! So Peter takes the incredible leap of faith into the water towards Jesus. I mean, I wonder what that felt like. Have you ever wondered? Like, he swings his legs over the side of the boat, He's sitting there on the edge, and then he plunges into the water and suddenly lands on something that feels like land. And he starts lunging towards Jesus like a newborn little baby who's learning how to walk. And he's lunging towards Jesus through the wind and the waves, and suddenly he's thinking to himself, I'm walking on the water. And then suddenly he thinks to himself, I'm walking on the water. And he sees the wind and the waves, the scripture says, and he gets really afraid. And then he calls out to Jesus as he starts sinking. These waves are really scary, he thinks to himself. The wind is really strong. It's dark out here. What if, what if Jesus suddenly disappears? Because he does that. What if, I, what if I lose him in the storm? What if I lose him? What if, what if he leaves me out here all by myself? These are the questions that surround great leaps of faith. You and I ask the same ones. Peter begins to sink but cries out to Jesus in the moment of doubt and Jesus immediately reaches out to Peter, lifting him up above the waves because this is what Jesus always does for you and for me when we call out to him. Would it surprise you if I told you that this incredible leap of faith, while possibly the one Peter is best known for, is not the, his most daring his most bold, or his most audacious leap of faith? It wasn't his first leap at all. In fact, it wasn't even his first step. His first step comes in Luke 5. Luke 5, where you're ready to read the scriptures. It's the story of Jesus borrowing Peter's boat. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper. Let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. 
A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. I want you to underline that last phrase. They left everything and followed Jesus. Now, Listen, I believe that the scriptures, as you read every story, what you will find is that all the great leaps of faith are preceded by many, many small steps. That God very rarely just ushers you to the edge of the cliffs and gives you a push. <laughs> That's not how he does it. That God does something different. It's my contention this morning that Jesus did not demand that Peter jump out of the boat and actually walk on the water. You know that, whose idea that was? That was Peter's idea. Peter came up with that idea. But Jesus had asked Peter to take several steps up to that moment to get him thinking about what is really possible. What is really possible. Interestingly enough, it started with Peter's boat. And this simple seemingly insignificant request to use his boat to teach. I think there are three steps of faith that keep working their way through our lives that Jesus uses to help us to take a great leap. I want to give those three to you today. The first step of faith is listening. The first step of faith is listening. And when we listen for God's voice. When we listen to the scriptures, we are initiating faith. Everybody say initiating. There is no doubt that God is the source of our faith. We'll read that here in a second. But when we start to listen, when we decide, okay, I'm going to listen to this, I am going to be responsive by being attentive then faith begins to be initiated in our lives. It was a simple enough request Jesus made of Peter to borrow his boat. Peter, listen, Peter had to likely put down the nets he was washing, right? He's with his partners. They're washing the nets. He's getting ready to put stuff away. And Jesus said, hey, can I borrow your boat? Can you just push this out here? Push this out onto the water? Peter had to put his nets down. It's often very inconvenient to have to listen to make time, to focus, to be centered. Jesus asked Peter to do something that seems insignificant, but as always, Jesus had something more in mind. Very often, it's inconvenient to stop what we're doing and do what Jesus asks us to do. Often, we, we may hear what he's saying, but we're not really listening. I have learned more about that idea from one single person in my life than anywhere else. And that is my wife, Amy. She has, she's the one who helps me know when I'm really listening. Because she will have me, me having a conversation and she will say to me, now we're, I'm talking to you, hey, are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? And I'll, I'll be like, yeah, I'm listening to you. She's like, what did I just say? And then I'll repeat it back to her and she'll say, no, but you didn't really hear me. 
Can any of you men understand that? Have you ever been there? So, so I, here, here's the thing. I, I have learned that when I'm watching ESPN and she wants to talk to me, it's an incredible feature that I've discovered. It's called the mute button. It works on the TV, not on your wife. <laughs> it works on the TV, it doesn't work on your wife. You hit the mute, she wants to talk to you, you're watching the play. Did Baylor win last night, Marcus? Yeah. You're watching Baylor kick butt, kick Oklahoma State's butt, and, they, and, and you're watching the kind of the, the plays from the game and you just wanna watch one more play and she just wants to interrupt, just like, come on. And, and she's, yes, <laughs> and, she, and she has learned, and she has learned sometimes to say, okay, I'll let, I'll, okay, I'll, when you're finished with this, just come, I want to talk to you about something. And, and that, that's such a sweet woman, but it's better, but it's better if I, as the husband, will hit the mute button. If I'll hit the mute button, and then I can all live on the DVR to rewind it and watch it again. But, but I hit the mute button and just say, babe, what do you need? And I look her in the eye, and I really listen to her. And she lets me know when I'm guilty of just hearing and not listening. You know, men are incapable of doing two things at one time. Right? It's, it's, it's a problem. Uh, women can do it easily. Men have problems. It's a scientific fact. But here's what listening does. It requires a reorientation of our priorities. It's better if I mute ESPN because my wife is more important than that play that I really want to see. No amens on that? Come on, man. Come on. Anyway, and it's, here's, here's the thing. Attentiveness can take us out of the routine. Like Peter with his nets, he's cleaning up, he's finishing up, he's getting ready to put everything away, but Jesus initiates one simple request and, and Peter, push the boat out here a little ways. Peter does it and then, interestingly enough, another request follows. He finishes and he says, hey Peter, why don't you go out and, and put out, go out in the deep waters and, and catch some more fish. And here's what I, I believe, very often, God is speaking to us through little interruptions. I think faith has to do with believing that interruptions are part of what he's trying to do in us and others. That there's, that there's opportunities within those interruptions and his purpose is lurking out here in our lives. And I think most interruptions are just opportunities in disguise for God to speak to you, for God, for you to listen. And so he listens and takes the first step in his life of faith. As we talked about last week, Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing when we hear the words of God. Our faith is always responsive to who God is and what he's saying. He's the source of faith, but we initiate faith in our hearts when we choose to listen. Hebrews 12, one through two says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Hey, hey, isn't our greatest sin very often just being just too distracted? 
isn't our greatest failure just being so busy and, and so, so distracted that we become deaf to his voice? We're not cultivating that. The second step of faith after listening, I believe, is speaking. And this works itself into our lives over and over and over again. We have to learn how to listen and we have to learn how to speak. I think we see it here in this story with Peter. Peter was activating his faith by the way he responded to Jesus. He was activating his faith by responding to Jesus in the affirmative. But what I love about Peter is he does it in an honest way. Notice he says, Master, we worked hard last night. He's almost like whiny. And we didn't catch a thing. Keywords, but if you say so. He's saying, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. I want you to notice Peter didn't just blindly respond. He, was, he had honesty about how he felt because here's the thing. He wasn't sure that he would catch any fish if Jesus told him to go out there and do it. Faith doesn't operate in a realm of certainty. Oh, I know it's exactly what's going to happen. No. No, faith, faith operates in a realm of uncertainty. Faith operates where you're not sure what the outcome is really going to be. And anybody who tells you they could guarantee the outcome in this broken world of ours, they're lying and they're not practicing faith. Because our faith is not necessarily in an outcome, it's in a person. And it is in his future and him bringing that future to earth, that heaven to earth. And it's happening now all around us. There is no doubt about it. What I want us to get used to is in this broken and worn out world that we start operating in a way that we speak faith into our own hearts and into the hearts of those around us. To believe in what Jesus has said, to believe in what God has said, that there is hope for us in the future and there is hope for us here and now. Our faith is in the person of Jesus and when he speaks to us, what we must do is say, if you say so, I'll believe it. If you say so, I'll do it. Listen, affirming God's words in our life by speaking them out is another step of faith. We are people who speak the words of God in our culture. We speak, we say what God says. This is what you and I are called to do in our neighborhoods, in our schools, on our job. We speak the words that God speaks to us. We speak the message of the gospel of Jesus. We speak the words of the scripture. We don't have to quote the verse number to speak into some situation at work. You could just speak peace into it because you're a person of peace, because you know the prince of peace. You can help bring an idea that, that you need at work or at school. You can bring, because you know the Holy Spirit, the author of all great ideas. You know the God who creates everything. You can come up with ways to speak into a situation that has faith in it. And I'm not, but I'm not talking about a dictatorial or judgmental tone. I'm, not, I'm talking about a subtle, humble, and distinct faith. I'm talking about a way of speaking that is re gonna reverse the reputation that we have in this culture. I'm not talking about a bombastic or pretentious demand. 
but a simple grace-filled speech that indicates we are filled with hope that comes from the promises of God to us. This is faith-activating speech within you. I know, and some of you are really negative Nellies or Nelsons. You, you're just negative. You just think negative. You say negative things all the time. I don't think that's who you're called to be as a Christian. I think if you're a believer, you gravitate, you and I, we gravitate to faith-filled speech. I'm not talking about denying the reality of what we're facing. I'm not talking about that. I mean, the world is broken. There are all kinds of problems that we're gonna face. We're struggling. But here, Proverbs makes it clear that the power of life and death is in the tongue, in our speech. There's something in us because we're inhabited by Jesus. And so I think when you don't understand, you say, I don't understand what's really going on, but I believe that the word of God is true, and so I'm gonna obey it. I'm not sure what's happening in these relationships, but I know that Jesus loves me and he's for me. I'm struggling, but I'm confident that God is my deliverer and my defender. These are, this is faith speech that we have to have in our lives. I'm not talking about denying reality. I'm talking about embracing in the middle of uncertainty what God has said to us and then speaking it. Romans 10, 8 through 11, you know what it says? It says, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Now let's talk about how this works. Let's talk about how this works in a couple of ways. First, in your own life, I want to submit to you that in your life of prayer, you don't pray out loud enough. I want to submit to you that in your prayer closet, you sit there and think too much instead of praying out the words of God that sit in front of you in the scriptures. I want to suggest to you that the battlefield of the mind is a tough battleground and every other competing thought is going on up there and you're fighting the battle of how your mind is going to respond to circumstances or situations or, or your, even your own sin and what you need to do is pray out what is already true what the scriptures say. We have a practice around here. When you don't know what to pray, pray the scriptures. Read them out and then start praying through them. You could read this whole story and you could say, Jesus, I wanna say yes, just like Peter. I wanna say, but if you say so, then that's what I'm gonna do. And then, listen, now here's the thing. It's different than just thinking that. Is it good to meditate on the scripture? Absolutely it is if you'll let that scripture be the thing that you're thinking about the whole time, <laughs> right? You're gonna, you're gonna fight some, something to let that meditation happen throughout the day. You gotta memorize a scripture and you gotta, you gotta think on it. All right, so if you'll meditate, that's great, but I suggest to you that if we'll pray out loud, something else happens. I can't explain it. I think it's the way we're wired. And here's what I really think. I think... We can't just live our Christianity out of our heads. We gotta live our Christianity out of our hearts. That's what Romans 10 just said. You believe with your heart. So the distance between here and here 
often comes through here. When you'll say it out loud, something powerful happens. When you're willing to pray it out and pray what Jesus has said over your own life, when you're willing to admit to him that your, your faith is weak, but you put your trust in what he's already said and done, and you say it, something activates. All right, second thing that happens, second realm where that happens is in a group, a small group of people. A small group of people who know what's going on in your life and you're, you, you are sitting around a living room or at coffee in a coffee shop and you're talking about what Jesus is doing and if you, if you stay quiet, it just stays rolling around in here. Whether it's a sin, a failure, or a concern, or anxious thoughts, or, or some struggle you're in, when you will say, okay, this is what I'm really dealing with, and you say it, and you get it from in here to out here, guess what? Suddenly, in front of everybody else, it doesn't look that big. It seems like it was really huge in here, but now it's like, oh. And you know, that is a, that is a, a lesson for life. When you let other people in on the struggle you're having, they can look at it and give you input that you didn't see, that you didn't know about. Other people have strength that they can bring to the table and, and help you to conquer whatever you're dealing with. And you, so you say it, it comes out here, you see it, oh, and other people begin to work on it with you and suddenly it doesn't seem so overwhelming. And little by little, you, as you say that, it activates faith way down in here. I'm not alone. I'm with some great people. God's doing something in my life. I'm not perfect, but God is working in me. That's faith speech. If I really want to embrace something in my life, I got to get it down deep on the inside of me and speaking it out is part of that. That's the second step of faith and I think that's always involved in taking great leaps. Finally, a third step. The third step of faith is doing. You saw it coming, didn't you? You listen, you speak it back to Jesus or your own heart or others. And finally, the third step of faith is actually demonstrating. You are demonstrating faith. Peter actually loaded up the boat with the nets after they'd just been cleaned up. And, and, then, and then Jesus asked him to do something super inconvenient. I gotta do something else. He, but he went out and did exactly what Jesus asked him to do. Did you notice how Jesus said, now go out to where it's deeper? Hey, I'll tell you this. Peter didn't know how deep his faith was going to take him or what Jesus had in mind. Jesus had in mind deeper things. Peter could have easily, now listen, Peter could have easily said, here's what he could have done. He could have been like, now, Jesus, listen, I've been a fisherman for a pretty long time. And I kind of know how this works. Like, I'm not sure you're aware of all of the skills that are required to catch these suckers. And so I'm the expert, you know, I, I, I get the fishing thing. Why don't you stay with your rabbi mumbo jumbo expertise and I'll do the fishing expertise. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. It'd be great. It's a, it's a great arrangement. But Jesus didn't want that. He didn't want Peter to compartmentalize his faith, which is what we're guilty of so often. We bring our faith to church, but it's nowhere to be found at work. We bring our belief and our speech to our family, but then you get at school and it's like our faith isn't engaged. 
I think what Jesus is trying to do always is he's trying to get his worlds, our worlds, to collide. (laughs) He wants our world of faith to collide with the world of our own reality, our own struggle, our own issues. And when those two worlds collide, that's when faith is being demonstrated. Do you see it? Did I lose you? The demonstrating of faith is the way that Christians have to live. We got to demonstrate it. You can't just make it, you know, like think it, like study it. Oh, we study it, we think it, we talk about it, but we actually never do it. That doesn't work, actually. You think about the words of Jesus that says, come unto me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? If you, if you know that verse, rest. He says, I'll give you rest. But in our culture, you know what we do most often? We don't rest. We're busy. We are driving. We are making it happen, because if we don't make it happen, nobody will. And we never experience the rest that Jesus is talking about. Sometimes Jesus is referring here directly to his ability to draw us to the Father. And sometimes we believe that it is our performance that draws us to God. That is incorrect. You, we, you and I have to rest in what Jesus has said. The Bible clearly says, for instance, that sexual intimacy is supposed to be in the context of marriage. That it's the only place it's supposed to function. But we keep surrendering culturally as individuals, we surrender our purity to those, aren't, who, those who aren't worthy of it, entangling our emotions, damaging our souls by spiritually connecting with people who have no conviction about real love. It messes up your life. Faith has to come into your life, and it has to be this thing that says God can satisfy in every area of my life. Scripture clearly states that generosity, giving, and tithing is one of the most powerful expressions of the heart. And yet, what do we do? We hoard. We control. We save up, we, we, we save up all, our, so, all our money so we can spend it on our stuff. Instead of realizing that Jesus is the provider and the one who will provide daily bread, we stress out every month trying to make it. When if we just obey him, do what he asks us to do, become a generous giver, that he would take care of our needs. Notice what happens to Peter when he chooses obedience. Look what happens when he chooses obedience. What happens? He demonstrates his faith by going out on the lake and doing exactly what Jesus asked of him. And the result is a catch of fish so huge that it practically drowns their, their boats. They, they sinks their boats. Think about this. Think about this. Could it be that that catch of fish was so huge that it became the provision for the disciples to follow Jesus, to leave their nets? Could it have paid for the next few months or years of ministry? Could it, could it have been one of those provisions? I don't know. Maybe. It certainly gave them courage. Certainly gave them courage to walk away. Listen, when we respond in faith, the results are greater than our abilities. Greater than our abilities. In, and that's what we want. In God's kingdom, the result of faith it, a, it makes a simple two plus two. It may actually result in five. A five or maybe even 5,000. 
The first thing Peter does when the blessing occurs is he, what does he do? He says, Jesus, get away from me. I always thought that was a horrible way to be grateful. As soon as he gets this huge catch, he says, Jesus, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. What's he saying? You know what he's dealing with? He's dealing with his doubt. He's not his doubt about Jesus, his doubt about himself. Can I just challenge you that Jesus knows who you are and he knows what your potential is? And no matter how much you doubt yourself, his plans and purpose for you are greater than you can like imagine for yourself. And this is what Jesus is trying to zero in on because Jesus' purpose was not fish. Jesus wasn't really worried about fish and whether or not they would catch any. His purpose was Peter's calling to influence people. But this still isn't the greatest leap of faith. You know what I know what the greatest leap of faith was? If you go to John 21, this is the greatest leap of faith. This is where we land. John 21, it's after the resurrection. Peter has already denied Jesus and he's, he's struggling to figure it out because resurrection life, it means everything's different, but he's not sure what to do. What do I do? He says, he says to his friends, check this out. I'm, I'm just gonna go back to what I know. I'm gonna go fishing. So he goes back and he goes fishing. And Jesus shows up on the beach and he calls out to them while you're fishing. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? <laughs> no, they answered. <laughs> What's new? Three years, nothing's changed. <laughs> he said, throw your net on the side of the boat and you will find some on the other side of the boat, on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. <laughs> They're like, wait a minute, this sounds familiar. Finally, the disciple that Jesus loves says to Peter, it is the Lord. And it says Peter wrapped his garment around him and he, for he'd taken it off and he jumped in the water. I always thought that was funny. He put his clothes on and jumped in the water. The other disciples followed in the boat and, the, and the, this huge net full of fish, they, they, put it, they brought it in and when they landed, there was a fire and burning coals and there was some fish on it. Jesus was cooking a breakfast and as they sat down, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, he asked him a question. And he asked him it three times. He asked him it three times. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these, more than these guys? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Look what Jesus said. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then Jesus responds, then I want you to take care of my sheep. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. He's like, what is Jesus trying to do? This is embarrassing, right in front of all these disciples, all in front of all my friends. He says, you know, he says, Lord, you know everything. Why are you asking me this? You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. He says, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked and you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And then he said, Jesus let, let him know this about his, his future and, and how he would glorify God. But then Jesus said to this to him, he said, follow me. Now listen, what was Jesus doing here? Why was he doing this? What, what, is, what is Jesus trying to accomplish? I, I submit to you that Jesus was trying to make Peter into a shepherd. I submit to you that Peter's greatest leap was not out of the boat. It was the leap of a fisherman becoming a shepherd. 
a leap he thought he could never take. Jesus was turning Peter from, an, from a, a bombastic, crazy evangelist into a, a pastor, into a person that would lead his church. Took a long time for the process to unfold like it always does with us. But listen, God will always lead us to greater faith, but he, only, he does it one step at a time. He does it one step at a time, and he starts with a little small request. We think that God's going to step us up to the cliff and then and tell us to jump. No, there's a bunch of steps up to the edge of the cliff, but you've got to be listening, and you've got to be willing to say it back to him, and you've got to be willing to act when he says it. You and I, this is the life that we've chosen to live. And he starts out simple and small and increases the intensity over time. It's like a good workout. It's like making a decision to say yes to Jesus. All you and I need to do is simply say yes to every step. Say yes to every step. Now close your eyes and bow your heads and let's, let's come to the Lord's table. Just put your stuff to the side for a second. And I want you to consider, if, if Jesus would have told Peter at the very beginning in Luke 5, hey, I'm going to turn you into a shepherd, Peter would have been like, what? What are you talking about? There's no way this is going to happen. I'm not sure he would have even understood the concept. Because Jesus was trying to turn a man of the sea into a man of the field to be able to see the harvest. And at first he used language he could understand, but his goal was greater than he could understand, and that's true with you and me. And so just with your eyes closed and your head bowed, I want you to listen to what God might say to you in this moment. We want the big picture. We want the lighthouse. We want to see miles down the road and we want to be assured of the trajectory of our lives. That's not how faith works. God gives you a little pocket lighter, a little flashlight, and he says, here, just keep up with me. Just follow me one step at a time. I want to ask you, what are the small steps God is asking of you right now? Maybe it has to do with simply getting up every day and being with him. Maybe it has to do with speaking into someone's life who's near you and you've just been avoiding it. Maybe it has to do with trusting him with your finances. And maybe it has, or maybe it has to do with you getting involved in the life of faith in a greater way at church or whatever, or, or going to a group of people, getting involved in a group, doing something beyond just your ordinary life. Maybe... Maybe it's just he's putting his finger on the ordinary things in your life and he wants you to do them well. All you need to do is say yes. Say yes. I want you to come to this table and I want you to be willing to say yes. The Lord's table set by Jesus himself, his body represented by the bread, his blood represented by the cup, healing and forgiveness to wipe away your past and to start again. To give you not only a new start, but to give you provision for that start. To nourish your soul with his grace and his goodness. To give you confidence and courage. Would you come to the table and say yes? Father, we come here and we ask you to lead us now, guide us, direct our steps.
our ears are open, our hearts are attentive. We know you have more for us than we're even currently experiencing. And so we come to this table and we say yes to everything you have for us. In Jesus' name.